0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's Inspiring Leadership podcast. I'm delighted to have a guest all the way from Istanbul in Turkey. I've been uh, honoured to be his coach for the last year uh, and seen his talent, his ability to inspire other people and his determination to learn and grow. And so without further ado, I'll let him introduce himself.
1: Thank you very much, Jonathan. By the way, thanks for the compliments. Uh, so I'm Mustafa Vartan from Istanbul. I'm the Chief Retail Operations Officer uh, of Migros Turkey. Uh, Migros Turkey is a grocery retailer. So uh, for the ones who live in US, uh, Migros is the Kroger of US. For the ones who live in UK, where the Sainsbury's or Tesco's of UK. For the ones from Europe, where Carrefour, uh, Casino, or Auchan, Albert of, of Europe. Uh, we're the leading supermarket chain in the country with 2800 stores. I'm I'm the guy in charge of those people and those stores, very basically. And also, I'm an online plus offline guy, which means that I'm also in charge of the online business, which is quite popular in the in the last couple of years.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Well, it's lovely having you on the series, um, Mustafa. Thank you. Um, inspiring leadership is the topic of the podcast and it's something you and I have talked about in coaching what does it mean practically to you to be an inspiring leader and when you've worked for somebody who is an inspiring leader what qualities did they have that you admire let
1: let, let me just break the the word into two inspiring and leadership okay I'm an engineer I always just you know. You know break it down and then and and make it bigger so uh, i I always discussed myself and with with my you know managers with my leaders, what is management what is leadership you know about this typical discussion very classical discussion in my late thirties, I understood the fact that management and leadership are two different things and uh you know I think being a leader is uh is quite different. And what when I just want to uh, when I just want to summarize it with one sentence, I think it is being a leader is uh, people going after you, not because you are holding this position, or you're having this status, but people are going after you because of your personality, because of your values. Okay, this is What I think or what I what I think about leadership and inspiring part of it comes from really different attributes, I think, and those attributes are, you know, a few of them. Let me just tell you from my point of view, candor is 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 the thing which is most important to me being in, you know, having integrity is the other one being consistent is, is the other one you know uh being open uh frankness friendliness and uh you know listening to them listening to your people with no hidden agendas so those are the attributes that i would be uh, talking about inspiring leadership
0: yeah beautiful put and um we we've, we've seen in the various world leaders, and certainly you've been watching what's been going on in America and in Britain and, of course, with Putin, that um, many of the leaders we're seeing, sadly, in politics are more the antithesis of inspired leadership. They are expiring leaders or misleaders. They mislead people, and uh, it becomes all about them rather than the people they lead. Um, So you've had a fascinating life journey, and... um, in our life journey, we have defining moments and people who've influenced us and caregivers who've shaped us. Tell us a bit about your upbringing, Mustafa. A bit about your grandparents, your parents, and and how you've become the leader I've experienced you today, which is um, a very inspiring leader and always open to learning and growing. You never you, you you've admitted you're never the finished product. Neither am I. Um, so so, what's shaped your life? Tell us a bit about that.
1: Again, it will be a very classical answer, but my father, mainly, my father was was the character who shaped my uh, my current leadership style, I think. But I also add my mother, but mainly, to be honest, it, you know, it was my father. No, my father, uh, he is really a very different person, a very strict, disciplined, uh, and successful guy. Okay. You know, uh, he is a man from bureaucracy. So, in in his whole life, he worked for the for the state, for the government. So, uh, he has never been a private sector guy. Okay, uh, so it's it's quite different my own personal life. But you know, uh, he became a chief constable. Uh, is that the right word in English? I'm mean, the chief yeah. police officer of a large Turkish city at his 35, and then he became the chief constable. Of the capital city of Turkey, Ankara, at 37, uh, and then he became a governor uh, at 38, and then he became an MP at he was 30, he, when he was 30, 39. So he was always be he was always the youngest guy in his positions. Okay, and then very, very, you know, uh, differently uh, when he was an MP when he was in the parliament. It was uh, 1980 and there was a military coup in Turkey and then, you know, uh, he had to uh, stop his MP role uh, at his 40, okay? And then he spent a few more years in government and then he retired, okay? So, a very, very, you you know, like he was taking off very rapidly and then boom, okay? But he was always successful, so... And he was a man of of roles on responsibilities and rules. Okay, so our in our family, there were always the roles were defined. Responsibilities were defined. There were strict rules. But, you know, one thing I I remember from my. Young, young, younger days was, you know, being self-sufficient. Okay, he was a strict guy, but he always. He always encouraged us to make our own decisions, okay? He just guided us. He was strict, but he didn't, he, he was not involved in our personal decisions. So that's, you know, he, he, he learned, he, he taught me how to be a successful person in, in, in the life, how to be a planned, organized guy. And my mother, he was, she was like, you know, she was the unseen hidden hero in our family, you know, and I think I always believe in this servant-type leadership. She was she was the person in our family who was the servant-type leader, okay? So she was always caring about us, you know, and, you know, solving our problems, but never being involved in our decisions. So her style just probably guided me to be to be trying to be a certain type leadership leader okay mm. so it was a combination of my father mainly but of course from my mother
0: yeah and, and thank you and and it is very interesting when you have such a powerful father figure um it takes a always like an angel of a of a of a wife to work with such a big ego to be honest because you know very driven to be in charge of Ankara and and to be a governor and then an MP before he was even 40. I mean, remarkable. Uh, But with that, there is always a cost. And, And as I worked with senior generals in the British Army who had achieved a lot at a very early age, it was quite hard being the wife of those people and being the children of those people, because they were always in the shadow of the great the great man, as it was. So um, I think that's something that people listening to this, some of them may have had the same experience with a, a very dominant parent, one or other of them, who, who had such an influence on them. Uh, even in later life, our behaviours are often driven by the upbringing we had. Anything more you want to say about your upbringing and how that shaped the way you are today, both as a leader and as a father yourself?
1: No, uh, we, um, It was a happy family. Uh, so we had our own small life I'm a, my father was not a very rich guy uh, we always had you know uh, had to work my by the way my my mom was also working and she was such a caring person with her job as well she was a teacher okay so uh, I'm just trying to I, I always try to go back to those days and try to understand how she handled both her business, her job and family, and, you know, it was quite tough for her. And also, as you said, you know, living, being a wife of a strong man. Okay, so, but I think we, we learned a lot with positives and negativities from that relationship, but generally we were a very happy family, you know, and we were a decent family but with always values and traditions, okay? That just goes back to roles and responsibilities. It
0: it does indeed. And brothers and sisters, and and where do you fit in the pecking order of brothers and sisters? And Are are you the most dominant of all of the siblings?
1: No, I have one sister uh, who is two years older than me. Uh, We have an unbelievable relation with her. By the way, uh, we were always fighting until until the age of twenties, you know, we were always in a fighting mode, but now I think she is my best friend in the world. She always covers she always covers my ass. Sorry for the word, but you know, she always did that. Okay, she still does that. Okay, so she's you know she's very special for
0: me. What a what a special lady. You're very you're very lucky to have a sister like that. Uh, I've got a I've got a big brother like that, Graham, and he. Uh... He's been there for me in the, in the darker moments and the toughest times, and it's, it's very nice. Um, so in your life, um, happiest moments and proudest moments, if, if you could pick one in your work or your life, and then your darkest moment, the toughest time, and what you learned from each of those experiences.
1: Wow, tough question. So the, the proudest moment, I think uh, people always remember the, the closest one. Uh, in, in today, so I think this year I had I had the honor of lecturing, even if even it was for only one one time. But I had the honor of lecturing in Howard Business School because we had a case study together with them, and the professor Tony Moreno, who was the uh, author of the case, uh, he invited me uh, to lecture in person. In Howard Business School campus, which was you know, Howard Business School is, is was a dream for me. So it was really an honorable moment for me. Okay. And what I have learned from that, from that moment, you no, know, I always wanted to go to Howard, okay? But I always delayed that decision. By the way, of course, I didn't, I don't know whether they would they would, you know, admit me, but that's another discussion. But, you know, I never tried hard for that. I always played that. When I was just after university, I was in a hurry to to earn my own life. Then I had different excuses. You know, I would be promoted. So I said, okay, I'll try two years later. Two years later, and now I'm 48, and I had only two chances to go to Harvard. One was in 2016 for an executive education only for one week, which was again great for me. And the other was this, this lecturing opportunity, but the learning was do not delay. So I'm a person a little bit, how do you call it, procrastinator? So procrastination. I was-
0: Yeah, procrastination. Yeah, yeah.
1: I sometimes do that procrastination thing. So. I think I had to do it earlier and earlier. I had to try for that, but I didn't do that. It was a learning for me.
0: Well, I'm I'm really, really pleased that you did it. And I know they gave you lovely feedback from it. And and if I remember, you had the 2016 time at Harvard doing a course there, as I did a course course at Harvard, uh, and found that very interesting. And uh, you also went to the Kellogg School of Management, I seem to remember, yeah?
1: Just one year later, I also went to Keller. But, uh, you know, uh, Howard case, the the one in the Howard was exceptional. You know,
0: it it was great, yeah. Fantastic. what about a darkest moment in your life and what you learned from that?
1: Darkest moment? Uh, Let me give you this example from my personal life, okay? Uh, I married at, at my 38, and I had my first boy when I was 40. Okay. And uh, in, in uh, when, wa- when my wife got pregnant, it, I think it was the fifth month of the pregnancy. And we learned that in one of those, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, periodical checks, we learned that my son would be, uh, would be born with a cleft lip. Okay. Uh, which was like uh, the, which was the darkest moment in my whole life. Okay. It was like the end of the world. Uh, I just said, okay, because I, I just started reading about that and no, it could have very, very bad implications. So it could just cost us like five, six different operations, uh, surgeries and, I I, mean, I was I was really shocked, and it was a very very bad moment for me. And then, thanks God, he was born with a cleft lip, but with like it was one of the lightest version of a cleft lip. And we got only one surgery, and she's now he's now a, a, a very handsome guy at nine years old. So, but throughout that period, uh, what I remember and uh, I recall, I was talking to a, a, a aesthetic surgeon and he was telling me that the, the, the kids with lip always become achievers, okay? Because they had, you know, they had always the struggling moments, struggling to breathe, struggling to talk, speak. So now I look at my elder son and he's really an achiever. So just the, the, the learning I got from this thing is, I mean, I mean, there are always good parts of having bad experiences. Okay. So the, the bad things come with future good things. So, so that was the learning I got from that thing. Uh, I,
0: I'm, I'm, it's an amazing story. And, and I think it does bring over this point that, everything that happens in our life has something to teach us if only we would listen or learn from it. And that um, it's not the fact we have a problem, it's how we handle it that marks out the successful people in life from the desperately unsuccessful people who feel they're victims of circumstances they have no control over. You had no control over that. It wasn't, it wasn't in your power. But once it was happening, how do you deal with it? And how do you make that person feel okay and not discriminated against by other people because of our differences. Um, Thank you. Uh, It's a very powerful story to share. I just want to acknowledge that for you and your wife. Um, And I'm really pleased that your nine-year-old son is thriving and a a, a high achiever like his father uh, and his mother, I think. Uh, Thinking about children and um, perhaps when people are at that key stage of your life, around about 16 to 18 years old, think back to when Mustafa was 16 to 18 years old. Knowing what you know now as you approach 50, what bit of advice would you give the young Mustafa about what matters and what doesn't matter?
1: Uh, I think uh, if, if I had the chance of going back to those ages, uh, I, would, I would tell to myself I mean, care less about what the others are telling you or what the others are thinking about what you are doing or what you are saying. So I'm a person who really cares about the others. Okay. So this I think shaped my character in 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 the in the coming years. And you know that made me less brave okay so i could have i could have taken braver or uh you know better decisions but i didn't do that just because of thinking what the others would think about that what the others what my father would say about that what my friends would say about that so this is this is not good i think i would have changed i would have changed that of course i know that this is partially of my character but you know if I had the chance to change one thing and teach one thing to my to my young Mustafa that would have been this this thing care less about what others saying and thinking
0: that's a really great bit of advice and and I know I like you suffered from that habit I was worried too much what others thought and lacked the confidence to step forward and just do something rather than be more uh, intimidated by our peer group. Um, thank you for that. Now, in your life, if there was one thing you could change, if you could live your life all over again, perhaps there was a crucible defining moment that shaped and changed your whole life. Is there anything you'd go back and change? Uh, what did you learn? If you did have a moment like that, what did you learn from it?
1: Uh, are you okay if I say, not changing the whole thing, but changing the timeline. Is it okay for you?
0: Okay, Again, yeah, go, tell us.
1: I think uh, I would uh, I would have married at an early age. The, the reason, by the way, I, I, I have nothing to do with my, I mean, no problem with my wife at all. Uh, probably the same person, but the thing is at an early age. Uh, and the, the, the sole reason being, I'm, I had my first son at, at my 40 and the second at 42. And I wish I could have more energy and to play with them, to spend better quality time with them. Okay. By the way, I, I have I have no health problems and I still have the energy, but I when I think about when I see some of my friends at, at 30s, you know, like having better time with their children, with a better energy, I really admire, okay, so I think I would marry at my, like, latest, or I would have, my first son, latest by 35, so that I could have a better life with them, because children, my sons, are the most important thing in my life, Uh, so, that would be my, the only thing I would change.
0: Yeah, how very interesting. And of course, we can look back, as Steve Jobs said, you, you you look back and you join up the dots over your life afterwards. At the time, you just do what you do. And there is often things where we go, perhaps I should have done this earlier or later or not done this, but done that. The, the fact is, these things have happened to us and we are where we are. But it is always an interesting academic exercise to think: What would you have changed? And others listening to think about whether they should not delay getting married till they're older, but do it when they're younger. Um, we'll go around the inspiring leadership compass, the eight components, and we'll begin with the true north, the moral uh, quotient: your values, your beliefs, uh, the principles you've lived your life by. Um, if there were, you were to say your top three values, and what have you done when you let them slip? and you had to get back on, back on true north, back to your, your moral values and your authenticity?
1: Uh, I think the top three would be, in, in the first question I was answering in the same way. So the top three would be, I think, uh, first, by far the first one would be candor, okay? This word, I'm, I'm not a native speaker, so, but you know, candor is, was the word, that I learned from a guy called Jack Welch, and you know, I really worked on that because you know I just tried to understand what candor means. But you know, there there are so many similar words like you know being open, being frank, being friendly, being warm, um, you know, having no hidden agenda when you're talking to someone. But candor overall is is number one attribute for me. Okay, so. Integrity is is the other one. So having your own authentic values, this is is number two. Number three would be, I think, uh, I know that it is quite similar with integrity, but being consistent, okay? Because, you know, I always believe in the fact that the good leader, a good leader would be the one who could persuade, who could convince his people, so in order to have this this power of persuasion, you have to have the credit, okay? You have to be a credit-worth guy. And in order to have it, then you need to have this consistency because consistency brings the credit and the credit brings the, the power of persuasion. So I think top three, candor one, integrity two, and consistency three. So what would happen, what happens or, uh, when I uh, when I behave in the in the in the opposite direction, you know I always believe in you no know, whether you believe in God or you don't believe you believe in energy whatever you believe in okay I always think if you if you slip away from your values something would would you know put you in back okay with a bad experience okay this is my belief. So whenever I lose my consistency at home, at work, when I lose my candor towards my people because of lack of time, because I have another problem and because I, I, have, I have some problems that I could not you know, be smiling to them, then something happened which warns me, hey Mustafa, go back to your route, okay? Go back to your path. So I will believe in that energy, which corrects me, so that's that always keep me fresh and alert. Hey, keep on your path, keep on your direction. Okay, so I like it. I really like it.
0: Keep on your path is a particularly good one, and and that takes us on to PQ, which is about um, your vocation, your calling, your in, in Indian your Dharma, uh, your why you do what you do, and and I often found that uh, great. Uh, guru of mine would say to me are you living your life on purpose or are you living your life off purpose and purpose and meaning link very closely to your values but they're slightly different what's what gives almost like spiritual quotient it's almost like you're, you're you're very calling why you're doing what you're doing and i i don't know whether you're a man of of strong faith but but certainly this this idea of what you're here on the planet to do what would you say about um what why you do what you do in migros
1: yeah i i think the keyword is is respect okay so respecting to something okay so uh, and the first thing to respect to is respecting to my own self okay so uh in order to not in order to keep my respect to myself so I have to do those things, okay? And this is the first thing. The other thing is respect to my surname, which is which goes back to my strong father, you know, but you know, respect to my family's values and what he and she has taught me. Okay, so this is the second second purpose purpose of my life. And the third is respect to my own family, to my wife, to my children, okay, so that's, that's the number three purpose, I think, and uh, you know, and the fourth one is not respecting to something, but giving back to, to that spirituality, okay, so it could be the God you're believing in, it could be your society, so it could be your moral values, but giving back giving back to, to who has helped you uh, to bring you to this status, okay? So this is the fourth one.
0: Yeah, I, I, I like that. And I think it's, it's all too often we forget about our ancestors, our parents, the people who brought us in and what we our, our payback to society, to our God, to whatever it might be, and, and doing something which is beyond our selfish little person that we're much more than that and that we leave and make a difference as we'll come on to in legacy. Health quotient is next. Brain health, physical health, well-being. I mean, it's clearly a difficult one when you're in such a busy job, having to travel all around Turkey, going abroad as well. But what works for you, Mustafa? What have you done to look after your brain health? And what have you done to look after your physical health? What tips would you give?
1: First of all, I have to thank to you because of a lot of, you know, tips that you have given me regarding my physical health. This breathing exercise, which I did by the way before this podcast, <laughs> because I always do that, uh, you know, before special moments. Uh, the thing is, you know, uh, the the book called "Glucose Revolution" it changed my whole life. Uh, to, to change how I eat. Uh, this is the first thing. And the second thing is, you know, this intermittent fasting. Because uh, I used to know that uh, having more frequent uh, eating occasions was something good that was taught to us in our, chi- in our childhood, but it, was, it, it wasn't correct. So now I'm living on this intermittent fasting mode in the last three years, which really helped me. And uh, the the, the other thing is uh, cycling at least two and sometimes three times a week. Uh, Especially if I'm abroad, I'm unfortunately, I don't have the chance to do that. But whenever I'm in Istanbul, I do it at least two, sometimes three. That's very, very important. So for my physical health, those are the three things. For my mental health or brain health, It it would be very, very, maybe very controversial, but you know, reading this financial times each and every morning at eight o'clock for almost one hour. This is the best thing which is for me to start the day with, okay? Having a cup of coffee, a hot coffee, and reading my financial times. By the way, everybody knows in my team that this is the most dangerous one hour. So if I if I get interrupted, I could be a different person. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's really, this really is something very good for me, for my brain health. And the other thing is this special moment with my children. Especially in the weekend, but at least half an hour each, each, each evening and night. This is very important for my mental health. So those are the two things: reading Financial Times with the coffee and having quality time with my children.
0: Yeah, I think um, having something other than ourselves, our partners, our children. In my case, uh, dogs. We've got one dog, but tomorrow we'll have two. We have a new wow. puppet. We have a new puppy coming. So Archie will be joined by Willow, uh, a, a little girl, a working cocker spaniel. I think it's just something that can distract you from being too intense about your work and and see there is a bigger life than than just the leadership in your job. It's a leadership for the integrated life, the integrity. Uh, And if it's not a full life, it's a disintegrated life. Bits of it fall apart. So that's why I quite like this idea of the integrated inspiring leader with health as being quite a key component. And many people don't have health as part of their leadership models. You can have lots of models health isn't even mentioned, but it's vital that you, Mustafa, have to be the corporate athlete. And as we discussed, if you get a good night's sleep, the difference between getting, say, seven and a half hours sleep or getting six hours sleep is about 30% in your performance the next day. And I, I was looking earlier on at my app, which I wear this Aura ring, and uh, um, I didn't have a particularly good, a bit of a disturbed night's sleep. And so a low score for that, But the good thing was I took about a 30 minute power nap and it brought me back up and rejuvenated me for the next day, raring to go to chat to you in Istanbul. Uh, The next one is EQ, emotional and social intelligence quotient. Um, We all can be a bit clumsy and crash around in the way we deal with other people and don't read our own emotions and manage our own emotions well. Uh, we might read others well and manage them well. And we may read or not read the environment. So those three areas. What tips have, would you give other people that as an engineer, who let me be let me be challenging here, engineers are famed for their IQ. They are not always famed for their EQ. So when you meet one who has good EQ, you go, yes, bring it on. So what have you learned? Uh, there we are, gonna get shot by some guests. Uh, but what have you learned? About developing good EQ, what's your tip that you give others?
1: By the way, uh, having this engineering and IQ EQ discussion, uh, I always thought that until three years ago, I always thought that I have a very high EQ. Okay, but I will, we were going through an assessment from a consulting company and a, a therapist lady uh, who is one of the persons who changed my life and she just reminded me that I had huge problems with my EQ, okay? And the second life-changing moment was this marketing academy thing where I met a dear friend, Catherine Tulpa, and she just, you know, she just connected together, to you you and myself, and I had this coaching thing. So I always, you know, make this, this confession that I was a person who did not believe in this coaching thing. Okay. And then at my 47, 48, I just understood that. I just, you know, noticed that coaching is something very, very important because having somebody looking at you from an an outsider's perspective, which has nothing to do with you. You you have, you know, I know you you and myself have no working relation in, in business. No personal relations. So you have this, you have you you, you have this outsider's perspective. That was very very important, first of all. And I think you know, uh, you know, going through this kind of a coaching session would be the best thing to improve your emotional and social, uh, you know, quotient. And uh, you know, one thing I have experienced very lately. Dealing with the personal problems of your people. Okay. So one thing I have discovered, you know, just three years ago, one of my direct reports came to me saying that, hey, Mustafa, you had really a good education. Would you please help my son who is at 17 and he is trying to choose the the university that he wants to go. So could you please help him? I could have said... Hey, sorry, but I don't have time. But I said, okay, I will. And it was, by the way, I was on vacation. I was on vacation. And I said, yes, why not? And I started kind of mentoring him, a guy at 17 years old. It was not easy. And somehow this was heard by the other direct reports and probably... I now became the mentor of almost all of their kids. Okay, sons and daughters. But one thing really helped me. I mean, this made me have a very deep relation with them. Knowing about their family stuff, you know, knowing about the, the problems of their children and talking about the careers of their children, which are the most important thing for them. So, I mean, and I understood that Having personal relations with them, spending time on their personal lives is really a very, very key ingredient for having this emotional and social connection and link with them.
0: What a lovely story. And for you to be mentor to their children. It, it's funny enough, it's happened to me with the CEOs I coach that quite often they ask me to mentor and advise their own sons and daughters. And uh, it, it's, it's a real privilege and, and it's, you're you being let into part of their life. It's a very private area, and you have to tread very carefully, and you have to be really serious about it, but it's interesting you talked about um, the coaching that you've learned uh, about EQ, and you had that realization a while back that you could develop it further. It's like a language, isn't it? I don't speak Turkish, but I could, uh, you know, I could make the effort to learn it at any stage in, in life, so it's harder later on when you're stuck in your way but i as a coach have my own coach uh, a lovely guy jeff and jeff's in america uh, in florida and so he coaches me and supervises me and i coach him and supervise him and then as someone who is certified to coach speakers ceos as speakers i um also got my own coach when i'm doing speaking i have my own coach and i just had a session before this call with patty Who is helping me with another speech I have to do for a private equity company, and uh, really makes me think and makes challenges my thinking process and gets me to perform better. So I'm I'm with you on that. If it's if it's good for other people, it must be good for you, and you need to keep learning and growing. I believe CQ is the next one: collaborative, collective, cognitive intelligence. This idea of accepting people for their diversity, the way they think. Uh, equality and inclusion people from different backgrounds i mean you're um in a fantastic setting here in that you're yes you're in turkey but you've spent time in america and europe and you've done the marketing academy course with people from all sorts of different nations what if what's your tip about getting on with people who are very different from you from different countries different session orientation different genders whatever it might be their difference how do you accept it
1: uh, uh, you know. Uh, by the way, it, I, I would be very honest. I, this was one of my uh, negative points. Okay, so I, I, I'm really in, investing on this one for the for the last two to three years. And reason probably is Turkey, Turkish business world or environment is quite more homogeneous. Okay, because we don't have so many uh, people from other countries, other ethnicities. You know, uh, sexual preferences is, is, is probably not very common, uh, you know, or uh, gender equality is still a problem. So we are more of a homogeneous country in terms of business culture. So I think because of the, this reason, I was, I was not quite good at this point, okay? But those international trainings, educations, in programs, it, it really helped me, okay, it really helped me, that's why I try to always join those, attend those conferences, education sessions, marketing academy was great because there were so many people from different countries, different backgrounds, you know, uh, different colors, and different sexual preferences, so that was a great, uh, experience for me to sit together with them, to spend time with them. And th- that's why I would definitely advise anyone to go to international environments and just to bear, bear in mind that diverse teams always perform better. And that that's why I, I started looking at, at my teams. If there's less number of females working in that team, I just put your on HR saying that I want ladies here. I want female people here. So just to keep that equality of gender, because women always add value, always add value. I'm trying to push that. So diverse team always perform better. I bear in this mind. I advise everybody else to, to bear in this mind as well.
0: Thank you. Well, I'm, I'm really pleased that you were able to be so honest about, you know, it was an area where homogeneity was more the norm in Turkey, and and you're finding a way to be more international and see people who are different. And it's uh, this idea of polarization, we are right, they are wrong, is one of the world problems at the moment um, in any nation. And uh, Republican, Democrat, whatever it might be, Conservative, Labour in the UK... Different parties and and making other nations bad, evil terrorists wrong. It's a, it's a problem for us. Resilience is next. RQ. Um, how have you coped with major setbacks, uh, adversity, and difficulties? What's your approach that works for you, Mustafa? I talk about
1: the, uh, the you know the big ones or the small ones or both. Uh, I would say if you
0: um, pick whichever you, whichever you'd like to share I, I'll go with whatever you come up with.
1: Well, I think uh, one very common thing I do whenever I come across such an adverse situation uh, I always I mean the, the principle is taking a taking a break okay so this could also be uh, interpreted as being a procrastinator but Uh, You know, I always take a deep breath, take a break and try to go out of that environment, okay, just to calm down my emotions, have a better thinking, okay, if possible, for example, if this is a big one, a big one, then I always try to change the location, okay, just take a, a weekend away. Just go somewhere, just go abroad, at least change the city where I am from. So that's, that's the thing I, I try to do. And it usually helps because uh, then you have the time and calmness to make a better decision, uh, to refresh yourself and to again to, to go up. So that's the thing I try to do.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a it's a really useful one to, to step back and take perspective. Somebody taught me um, one of the seers I was lucky like enough to work with. He talked about 10, 10, 10 and your best friend. 10, 10, 10 is how important is this issue you're getting very agitated about? How important will it be in 10 weeks time? Then how important will it be in 10 months time? And then how important will it be in 10 years time? And then. If your best friend in business had the problem you're struggling with, what advice would you give him or her? Write it down and then take the advice. But we can't give the advice to ourselves. We can give it to our friend. We have great wisdom in advising our friends, but we just aren't good at taking our own advice. Uh, I had a client the other day and she is working so hard, um, just you know, seven days a week, and has been for some years. And uh, she's burning herself out. But she's saying to her own staff, take it easy, put boundaries in, say no to things. I go, and what about you? When there's one finger pointing at other people, there's three fingers pointing back at you. So, you know, just like me as a coach, I have to take my own advice that I that I might give as a mentor to somebody else or the questions I ask others, I should ask myself or get my own coach to ask me brand next which of course is a very big thing for you in your business as the coo of migros but what have you done to learn about 360 feedback and from the mistakes you've made and and what do you do to learn and put into action your learning
1: Brand, i think uh i would take your question from a different angle you know i think all of our All of us have have, have our own brands, okay, and we have to invest in those brands. Uh whenever I I speak to my team, uh, I always advise them, and as you said, advice to myself: invest in your brand and don't get into the trap of being short-term, being you know, thinking short-term about your brand. Okay, so that really means that uh, you have to have long lasting relations with your peers, with your managers, with the people working for, for you, uh, with, with people from other companies. So just think about long term and invest in your own brand. So this includes getting the feedback from your peers very. I mean, it's, it's, it's a very important thing because getting a feedback from your manager or from the people who are working for you, it could be biased. But getting a feedback from a peer and you no, know, hearing what they say about your brand, that's the most important thing I think. So like, you no, know, your customers talking about your brands. You no, know, we are all having those customer satisfaction surveys. Surveys, okay, but. How about your own brand survey, okay? So peers are the most important people. And in order to get good feedback from your peers, you have to have those long-lasting relations. And that really requires having that candor. So uh, it is the most important thing, I think, yeah. for, for your brand.
0: I, I couldn't agree, agree more. And if you're... Uh, part of a c-suite reporting to a ceo uh, with your own division that you run many people think their own division is their first team but it's not your first team is your peer group And, and i know looking back in my days in the army as a company commander with other company commanders i was competing with them because we all wanted the top slot to become the commanding officer I wasn't collaborating with them. I could have done much more and seen them as my peers, my first team. And my own t- division company that I ran was my second team. Doesn't mean you don't look after it, you do. But you just need to think bigger for the goodness of the organization. The level you report to, that's your first team. And people get that wrong. Uh, Legacy, the next one, LQ, um, leaving things better than you found them. I mean, you've been now at Migros for some years. Uh, before that, you were at Hewlett-Packard. Before that, you were at Migros again. Um, what's your belief on leading things better than you found them in each job that you do in a, in a company? Because you've done different jobs as well.
1: Uh, legacy legacy is, 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 is a word I really love. Uh, we, we discussed this before with you. I remember that, but you know, uh, I think uh, the, the most important things that I would be remembered as, I think, you know, I would, I would be willing to p- people saying about me that, hey, this guy really taught us that being successful is possible without being an asshole. Okay. <laughs> Before being, you know, using those words, but, you know, so, you no. Know, I I don't like toxic environments and I don't think that there's a, there's a, there's a very strong belief in the business community that successful people always come out from strong characters with high egos. Okay. And, you know, no, I mean, I think I would, I would, I would love that if people talk to me about, after I leave this company, hey, this guy was successful, but he was also a guy with his own values. Okay. So this is the most important thing. And he was, he, of course, we all have our egos. You know, you know in, in, a, in a business environment, you cannot survive without having, a, having an ego. But to what extent, to what degree, that's the most important thing. And... How they perceive you? How do other people perceive you? I mean, with a high ego or uh, with an acceptable level of ego? This is the most important thing. And I would love them to remember me as a person with an acceptable level of ego. Yeah.
0: That's a good one, yeah. We have to have a certain amount of inner confidence, but we've got to be careful it doesn't slip into arrogance, as we've seen in many political Uh, scenarios recently where it's come unstuck people do come undone because everybody wants someone with encouragement positivity um and 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 a quiet inner confidence but with humility and humanity and they're willing to admit that you're wrong and if you've got it very badly wrong as the leader that you resign you step down you don't just hang on to power forever and think that the fault's out there, everybody else is to blame, but not you. You own it, you have to own it. Um, We takes on nicely to the last two questions, uh, the last three questions, executive teams, then favorite book, and then your top tip. Um, Executive teams, if if you were to give one tip of taking a team from being a little bit toxic uh, and creating a high-performing team, what was it you did to to turn around a toxic team and make it high-performing?
1: Toxic teams. I was just telling you about those toxic environments, just a question before. So, uh, what, what, I mean, what I, what I do usually when I see a toxic environment, I try to make the assessment of, uh, of, you know, who are those guys and, uh, how can I, how can I make use of those guys in different positions, in different roles, and because I believe that sometimes people really behave differently in different roles, and the the pressure of the previous role or the current role may just may just have put him in that kind of a toxic situation. So I usually shuffle the team, okay? Uh, so I play with the cards and just wait for them to execute to perform in their new roles and under new responsibilities, and then. If I really see that nothing has changed, I'm kind of a brave guy in that, in that terms and I, I, I usually replace those guys, okay? So this is the first thing. And just to make a high-performing team, it requires, I mean, it requires a good chemistry, okay? But, uh, you know, this, this chemistry would not come from Having the best team. Of course, having a good team is, is, is really a plus, a very important plus. But how you design the way of working, how you design the processes, how you organize them. I mean, it really changed the bottom line. Okay. So with having having a having the same team, if you do not organize them, if you do not design the, the way of working in a correct way, you could have really bad. Outcomes. So this is very important. Having the chemistry of your team, having the right chemistry with the right design.
0: Beautifully put, and, and I really agree with all the points you raised. Thank you for that. Um, penultimate question, favorite books. I think you have three very quickly. What what are the three and why would you recommend them?
1: Once I've talked about you know, uh the the you know uh, the marketing academy, one of the marketing academy lectures. Penny Ferguson, her book is, is "The Living Leader." Uh, it's totally about listening. Okay, yes, there are some some other things, but listening this is the most important thing. So this is one. The second one is uh, Professor Clayton Christensen from Harvard Business School, who was one of the one of the guys who changed my whole life. So the, his book is he has many he has many books, but how Will You Measure Your Life? This was a phenomenal book uh, about values and leadership. And the, you know, uh, and the third one is something you suggested to me to read. So it's Glucose Revolution about my physical health, but I always have the hard time to pronunciate her name, the French lady. Who Jessica,
0: was... Jessica Incapezi.
1: Okay, okay. So that was the third one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Great. Now, they're all great books. And I've just uh, ordered, as we spoke on Audible, I've ordered uh, to listen to How Will You Measure Your Life by Clayton Christensen, because I think that would be very important at the end of your life as you look back and you go, how how did you measure it? How did you know whether it was a success or not? Success, according to whom? And actually, I I love that idea that happiness is getting, uh, so success is getting what you want. But happiness, that's wanting what you already have. And I know now as I'm 60, that I'm so much happier with what I have in my life, rather than constantly crammering for more things. I'm very fortunate. I've been through some highs and some lows, some challenges, some difficulties, but I'm very grateful and very appreciative. And I think gratitude and appreciation will help us appreciate our lives. So finally, would you please introduce yourself again, uh, say who you are, what you do, and share with us your top leadership tips.
1: I'm Mustafa Barton from Istanbul. I'm the Chief Retail Operations Officer of a company called Migros Turkey. Migros Turkey is one of the leading supermarket chains of Turkey, like the ones Tesco, Sainsbury's, Carpenter's or Kroger's of the world. I'm in charge of the whole store network, online and offline. And my tip for for the leadership is invest in yourself. And this could be possible with with reading, reading, any kind of thing about your business, sports, art, so that you have really an intellectual capacity to speak to your people, to your family. This is the first thing. The other thing is, you know try to try to join training programs, my principle is at least once in two years to have international uh, friends, to be in international environments and to learn to catch the agenda. Uh, and the other, thing, the other thing is spending time, spending time to your network, to your external network, spending time on your people, on your family, on your direct reports, uh, people from your, from your teams. And in order to spend that time, you have to be very careful on your time. So try to delegate as possible as to your team members. So you have to have, you should have a strong team to delegate. So select the best people to your teams. This is my two-minute tip.
0: Thank you very much indeed, Mustafa. And it's been a real honor having you on the Inspiring Leadership program. And thank you for your contribution today.
1: Thank you for inviting me, and that was a great honor for me to join.
0: So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed. What are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, JonathanPerks.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch, or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.